This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is The Buck Sexton Show. All right, team, welcome back to the Freedom Hunt. Uh, We are very pleased to be joined by our friend Andy McCarthy. He's a former federal prosecutor. Currently, he is uh, uh, with National Review. Andy, thank you so much for calling in. Do we have Andy? Yeah, I'm here. Hello? There we go. Sorry, Andy, we didn't hear you for a sec. All right, great to have you, sir. Uh, let's talk about your latest. I talked about this yesterday when I was in for Rush. The uh, GOP ethics, what was it, the Office of Ethics or something? Office of Congressional Ethics, OCE. You're saying amateur hour. Right. What happened there? Well, you know, look, I, I think, Buck, the timing of raising this was idiotic. You know, let's be honest. It was like politically, um, if you were sitting around the table and, and saying, What's the stupidest thing we can fly out of the box with uh, in, a, in a moment when we finally, after 10 years, have control of both houses of Congress and the White House, and we have in front of us an ambitious agenda, an urgent need to deal with Obamacare. Uh, you know, Trump has this tax reform, trade reform, all these big uh, items uh, to, to come to start out even before the session began uh, in a unilateral way with trying to uh, clip the wings of something that's perceived by the public to the extent the public even knew about it before five minutes ago as a Which is very few of them. But yes, body. right. Um, you know, it was it was really, really dumb politics. Uh, and I, I think in some ways the Republicans ought to thank Trump uh, because not only did his tweet um, grab all of the attention, it made them you know, have a moment of, uh, of thankfully, of, of clarity of saying, you know, what are we doing to ourselves here? And they pulled the plug on it. So instead of becoming, you know, a three-month story, it's a one-day story. Uh, I hope it's a one-day story. So <clears throat> interesting, as the media covered it yesterday, Andy, the New York Times wrote how they were there was an effort to uh, to eliminate or to, or to kill the Office of Congressional Ethics, and then later would say, well, they're trying to gut it. Uh, so there was the reporting was was both that it was being eliminated and it was just being altered. But you're right. It's a political loser. And I mean, Trump actually seemed to see this and, and some members of Congress didn't. It It doesn't matter if they were changing, you know, h- how many pens and pencils the secretaries are given on day one. It doesn't matter because it looks bad. Right. No, it looks terrible. And, you know, I don't think they meant to prioritize it. I just think they did it under the uh, structure of establishing rules for the new session, uh, which they're entitled to do unilaterally because they're the majority. But the way it then played out was that the Republicans unilaterally gutted an ethics panel, which since the ethics panel was created by the Democrats in 2008 to exploit 
Republican uh, corruption scandals that were, you know, the fallout of those was underway in 2008 when this thing uh, was foisted on us. Um, it looked terrible. It looked like, uh, you know, uh, we finally got our hands back on the wheel and this is what we want to start with. But all that said, this panel is, to my mind, w- once I was informed about it, and I must say I never heard of it before uh, yesterday or the day before either, uh, but it's kind of like a civilian review complaint board uh, that that uh, or some p- civilian complaint review board that oversees uh, and investigates uh, allegations of misconduct by the New York City Police Department, um, which, you know, by the way, I looked at uh, Heather McDonald's book yesterday. Uh, do you know how many of those complaints that the 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 complaint review board uh, actually verifies? Um, it's about seven percent to give you some sense of um, you know of, of how effective these things are. But this thing was uh, to me it was an unconstitutional body because it didn't even though it was created by Congress, it was created as kind of an independent body that didn't report and wasn't accountable and wasn't elected by anyone. It didn't it wasn't part of the Congressional Ethics Committee. And, you know, I know this gets into the weeds for, weeds for people, and I, I apologize for that. But the ethics process is actually put together in a pretty careful bipartisan way. It's the only committee in Congress where you have 10 permanent members, five on each from each party, no matter what the, uh, what the division, you know, which party is in control of Congress. The ethics committee is always five and five from each party to, to try to keep it honest. And make sure that it's not used, because you can see how it can be used, uh, abusively to raise into ethical problems things that are only rumors uh, and the like, which if they get branded as something that's being looked into by an ethics body can be used in political ads against people. And, you know, the public, let's, let's face it, when they hear these things, they're, what, what they – get out of these messages is that somebody's being investigated by something that's called an ethics panel, uh, not that there's anything actually to the allegations. So what the Republicans wanted to do was bring this thing under the oversight of the ethics committee, which everybody should be comfortable with because there's an equal number of Democrats and Republicans on each side. They're elected members of Congress, so they're answerable to the public. If they do anything shady, um, they're going to, you know, pay a price for that. And, you know, it's not like, as Jim Garrity at National Review pointed out, it's not like they're the only body doing investigations of corruption in Congress or that they're the most important ones. Uh, In fact, when I was at the Justice Department, the worst thing you wanted to see if you were a prosecutor was Congress doddering its way like a bull in a china shop into the middle of something that you were trying to investigate. I don't mean to sound arrogant this way, but as a professional trained law enforcement person. So yeah, this is, I said this yesterday on Russia's show. It's, it's not like the elimination of this office means that now congressmen can take paper bags of cash under the table and the FBI and the DOJ and everything are going to say, well, you know, there's no office of congressional ethics. So I, I guess we just have to look the other way. But again, it was, it was sort of a mountain out of a mole. It was a political issue much more so than a, as you point out, once you get down in the weeds, it may make sense. It may not make sense. I mean, depends on what exactly they were going to plan to do with it, but it still was a political loser. Andy, you're a former uh, federal prosecutor. Everyone listening knows that because I introduced you that way. But you're 
somebody who's had a lot of people, I'm sure, over over the years, in the past, hopefully not so much anymore, although who knows, uh, lie to you. Julian Assange saying that he is uh, – did you see the interview by any chance? Nope. Wouldn't wouldn't give it the time of day. I, I'm, I'm old enough to remember, Buck, when uh, the New York Times gave its pages to the leadership of Hamas to write op-eds, uh, and conservatives, including on Fox News, used to be outraged that a major American media platform would be given over to enemies of the United States. So I, I still abide by that, uh, you know, regardless of which platform is being used. And to my mind, Julian Assange is an enemy of the United States. I wouldn't – here's when I'll be interested in what he says, Doc, when he identifies who the source was, and then we have something we can actually investigate because I don't want to take his word for it anyway. But the fact that he says, I didn't get it from X – when you and I both know, and you better than I because you're more experienced on the intelligence end of this, but it's a commonplace in espionage, even if people are being borderline honest, and honesty is not exactly the, uh, you know, the, the, the lingua franca of, of intelligence work, right? But no, it is not. You operate, all the, you operate all the time with cutouts, and plausible deniability is a big concept. In fact, the reason that we have what we call covert operations is so that we can deny what we did if we ever get called on it. That's, you know, part of the part of the deal. So and, my, you know, my personally, my closest experience with this was I had to get involved in proving some of what we did as an intelligence community to aid the Mujahideen in Afghanistan uh, during the Soviet invasion and the jihad there. And. It was hard for me as a member of the Justice Department, even under court orders, to get cooperation from the intelligence community on that, even though books had been written on the subject by then, because they had given their word to their intermediary. We can now identify them as the Pakistani intelligence service, but I had trouble doing that at the time. That didn't become public, I don't think, till the 9-11 commission hearings, you know, years and years later. But the whole point of that was that for 10 years, everybody on the planet knew that the United States had basically armed and funded and, and trained a lot of the Afghan mujahideen against the Russians. And we, we basically, as an intelligence community, even though everybody knew that, denied it until it was finally uh, you know, public, uh, public record. Not public record in the media – public record in, you know, in an official capacity in, in hearings. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're still declassifying that, things from, from, uh, from Vietnam and, and I think even World War II in some cases. So, Yeah, but, they, but if you're going to be effective in espionage, one of the things that you have to learn to do, and this is, this is hard for people to grasp, but it's important in terms of protecting the country, is you have to look people in the eye, including your enemies, and lie to them. That's what you do. So... You know, Julian Assange looked me in the eye last night if I had been watching, uh, which I wasn't. Uh, but he looked America in the eye, as I understand it, and said the Russians didn't do it. You know, whoopee. Yeah, uh, it's, I, I'm, I'm surprised at how, how many people have, have trusted me on, on other issues of, of intelligence who on this one think that somehow I'm missing it. I'm like, you, really? Julian Assange, I mean, the, the WikiLeaks release of uh, Chelsea Manning, uh, the Chelsea Manning uh, purloined documents, that wasn't whistleblowing. That was just 
uh, airing a lot of confidential U.S. government material to hurt the United States. That wasn't people seem to have forgotten that that there was no whistleblowing. There was nothing that there was no right. whistle that was being blown. No, and hooking up Snowden with the Russians, um, you know, that was enemy activity. Uh, the damage that Snowden did in terms of what he took and leaked, I know, you know, there's a segment of our population for whatever reason uh, wants to depict him as a heroic figure. And uh, yeah, I'm grateful that uh, uh, Edward J. Epstein actually dismantled that uh, in an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal this week. Uh, but Snowden is an enemy of the United States. Assange is an enemy of the United States. Um, when they speak, you have to assume it's propaganda because they don't have America's best interest at heart. And I think it's a really bad thing for people who support the incoming president, who I, you know, I wasn't a, a Trump supporter during the primaries, but I certainly tried to help his campaign from the sidelines and I did vote for him. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm saying this as somebody who uh, supported Trump ultimately in the election. Um, we don't want to lose sight of the fact that people are enemy of the enemies of the United States just because they are fleetingly saying something that may be helpful and expedient for us in the moment um, because they still are who they are. It's kind of, you know, I tear my hair out when we're in the middle of some policy debate and some conservative says, you know, Alan Dershowitz agrees with us or, you know, Jonathan Turley agrees with us. Um, yeah, I'm always glad for as much agreement as I can as I can muster and as I can get on my side. But at the same time, I have a, I have a big problem with the idea that somebody who I think is wrong on policy, probably 80 or 90 percent of the time, suddenly, you know, once in a blue moon agrees with me on something. And I'm supposed to go up in a balloon about that. You know, I just I, I feel the same way about the enemy. You know, the, uh, occasionally uh, they're going to say things that are helpful to one side or the other of a policy debate. But I don't think that we ought to ever factor that in without reminding ourselves constantly and upfront that the information has to be discounted because they're enemies of the United States. Andy McCarthy is a best-selling author and contributing editor at National Review. Uh, Andy, great to have you as always. Please come back soon. Thanks so much, Buck. Uh, team, we'll be right back. Buck Sexton. The Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Uh, I don't know. We I usually don't talk about things like Mariah Carey's New Year's Eve performance, and no doubt I'm I'm late on the uptake here in the sense that this has already been uh, this has already received a whole lot of 
attention. She threatened, or she said that she was sabotaged, and then Dick Clark Productions threatened to sue for defamation. And if you haven't seen it, by the way, uh, I stayed in New Year's Eve. Uh, Miss Molly and I just sort of, had, you know, drank our own champagne and and hung out. You know, we're near the beach, so we just sort of opened the windows, let the waves bring in the new year. I I avoided. There was a great meme with a photo of Drake that I saw on. Uh, Drake also is a is a singer performer for those of you who are unfamiliar, um, and it was like three. It was he was making a frowny face, and the the caption was, "I spent three hundred dollars so I could have a glass of champagne and some chicken fingers," and that's pretty much New Year's Eve in a nutshell from from most of my experience. So I, I tend to try to avoid going out on it. So that means that, that meant that I did see that Mariah Carey thing the night that it happened. Uh, where she had a disastrous performance. And, and what I always think to myself is, when do, you know, um, I'm probably going to get myself into trouble here. But, you know, Mariah, Madonna, I, I, I feel like their, their music acts should evolve a bit as they become more distinguished ladies. Is that the, you know, I, I'm not sure that, the sort of uh, very oh I was and it's funny actually because I was asked about uh, the how uh, Megan Kelly dresses at Fox News on air yesterday on Rush Limbaugh's show and look Megan was always nice to me so I'm, all I have to say is that Megan's always nice to me and you know I let others talk about these sorts of things um, but when it comes to like music performers who one I don't know so they haven't been nice to me and two uh, are really putting it out there sometimes i just wonder i mean there was a there was a jennifer lopez video if you haven't seen it i would i don't know if i can recommend you watch it because i my eyes were scarred it was like somebody had taken a white hot poker to both of them um because it was jennifer lopez and i believe iggy azalea and the entire music video and i wasn't even really aware that they still really make a lot of these music videos in the first place the entire music video was a, a fair amount of it was just a lot of of um, bottoms being jiggled. I think that's the way that's the way we'd have to phrase it. Uh, and whether you are you know that's your cup of tea or not, I just feel like there's this uh, there's this expectation, or or rather we're, we're supposed to accept that you know as people as people enter a different phase in their lives maybe a slightly different approach, maybe a slightly less overtly uh, sexualized approach to their craft might be warranted. People get very sensitive about this, by the way. Who I, I don't know why, you know, it's like when you criticize Beyonce, they all they all come after you. But you know, I was sitting there watching this Mariah Carey thing. I'm sure she still has a great voice, although, I, you know, I don't know. I, don't, I haven't heard her in a while. But the, the sort of like, skin tight unitard thing and all that is that really still you know madonna also kind of who's older i believe by a bit than mariah carey still doing these things and for some reason this is an area of art or a performance that if you if you bring it up you're like a bad person uh, you know it's it, you're you're being mean or something it's like well i don't know i i wouldn't stand up and like dance around shirtless for everybody because that's not really what I do and I don't think that's going to bring in the viewers so you know just a thought on that whole New Year's Eve thing I don't know some of you probably might get mad at me but I just maybe I just don't like Mariah Carey that much bottom line back in a few The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network
dispensing the truth. This is Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. All right, team, we're joined now by our friend Emily Zanotti, political editor at Heat Street. She is E.M. Zanotti on Twitter. What's up, Emily? Not much. How's it going? Happy New Year. Did did you have a, a fantastic and wonderful vacation, I hope? I did. I had a great vacation. How about you? Yeah, it was pretty chill. It was down in Florida. A lot of, lot of families, of which I, I, I do not travel with family, or my own family, I should say. So that was interesting, <laughs> you know. A little bit yeah. like being on the set of Captain Kangaroo. Isn't that the kid show? I don't know. I need to think of a new kid show. But <laughs> yeah. That was like 50 that, years ago. I'm geez. really sounding old. That I'm was sounding a while really ago. <laughs> yeah, that was a bit ago. Okay. like I don't, Barney the Purple Dinosaur, is that back? I don't even know what kids look at these days in terms of TV, so I have no idea. All right, all right. Let's yeah. get into some of your pieces on HeatStreet.com. <laughs> oh, wait, no, wait. Put a pin in that. We're going to do that. Uh, Mariah Carey, sh- shaking the moneymaker, maybe in a, like maybe time to just sing and a little less of that. What do you think? This is what I was saying before the break. Some people, I think, agree with me, actually. You know, I think it might be time for Mariah Carey to go into retirement, enjoy that massive shoe closet that she has in her penthouse apartments, and just just let everybody remember the days of glitter and, you know, hero and, and the glory days of Mariah Carey, <laughs> rather than, like, the, yeah, the I mean, camel toe and rhinestone situation that happened on New Year's Eve. Whoa, whoa, hey, oh. <laughs> Oh, Emily's a naughty. She's she's letting it, letting it rip. Okay, so you uh, yeah, you're not a Mariah person either. I hear you. Um, let's see, what we got here. Uh, Teen Vogue not setting high standards for serious journalism on social media. Oh gosh, Teen Vogue not something I've ever read. I can tell you, but I'm sure it's a thing people do read, especially teenagers. Mm-hmm. So what's going on here on HeatStreet.com? So Teen Vogue has decided in the last few months that it's going to move into political coverage. It's going to get more serious. So instead of just covering Justin Bieber and the latest trends in prom dresses, they're going to cover Donald Trump and they're going to cover murders. And it's it's a mess. Um, Apparently, they have to compete with these other these other issues on on the Web that that cover things from a political perspective. I know Lena Dunham has one. It's super fun and, and very uplifting. Um, but Teen Vogue decided to cover a murder that happened, uh, I believe, in middle America, uh, where a woman and her mother were murdered by her ex-boyfriend. And so instead of actually treating this with a seriousness required of actual journalism, they decided to say, oh, that sucks. That is so bad. And with S-O in capital letters on their Twitter feed. Ah, hmm. Teen Vogue should probably stick to... I don't know, Snapchat. My girlfriend tried to explain Snapchat to me and started showing it to me, <laughs> and it's like some weird voodoo science. She's like, you, you do all these swiping, and it's, it's, a whole, it's like a whole separate language. I really did feel like an old man. Snapchat, though, is what the cool kids use now. Yeah, I feel like I am so old. I can't even figure out Snapchat. I know my husband does it, but I, it just freaks me out. Yeah, and I still, I don't know why making my face into a dog, and I've, I've said this before, but I'll repeat myself, why that is appealing. Like, I, I, I don't know. You, don't, you know, I, I want something that removes, removes red eye and blemishes. I, I'm old-fashioned that way. You don't want one of those, like, digital flower crowns or, like, the stars that go around your head? I mean, come on. I just, I, I just don't get it. All right, back to HeatStreet.com. Media can't decide whether Trump's tweets are terrifying or not. What's going on here? So 
over the last few days, the media has been kind of going back and forth on whether Donald Trump is the most powerful Twitter user of all time or the least powerful Twitter user of all time. So they've decided that because he tweeted about North Korea, we are all going to end up in a nuclear war and the United States is just going to be a sea of green glass. But yesterday, when Donald Trump stepped in to stop the House Republican Committee from destroying the ethics board, suddenly they were like, it was not Donald Trump. Donald Trump didn't do this. He's the least powerful social media user we've ever seen. He makes no difference. And then all of a sudden, later on that day, he was back, they were back to saying that he was going to cause a nuclear war with just his phone and Twitter. So it's, it's this interesting dynamic that we've been watching of the media trying to decide whether they think Donald Trump is super powerful or if they think he's just a guy tweeting into the ether. Well, this reminds me of, of during the Bush administration, it was either uh, Cheney was like running this all powerful cabal from behind the scenes and that everything the Bush administration did was a, was a calculated assault on humanity uh, for the for the benefit of Halliburton, which, you know, which mm-hmm. people had never heard of until the Bush administration um, or Bush was so dumb and the administration was so stupid that uh, they should just be constantly mocked because they can't tie their shoes. And I'd always point out to friends, I'd be like, you know, it's it's it can't be both, actually. (laughs) They can't be so stupid that no, you can never take them seriously or so devious and brilliant that, uh, you know, they, they get away with everything. Yeah, you can't be Darth Vader running the evil empire with your fingers in all the pies and also have to write your policy briefings in crayon. I mean, you can't be both of those people. So. They, they're starting that again with Donald Trump. Like he's this evil genius sitting up in his part, uh, penthouse apartment and deciding that everybody should be in nuclear war and we should be stockpiling nuclear warheads, or he's just an idiot who doesn't know how to use his phone. All right, this is awesome. Uh, American teens are applying en masse to Canadian colleges to escape Donald Trump. Is this really a thing? I mean, people, people, they they don't want to go to college. Americans don't want to go to college in America anymore because of Trump. So this is a thing among sort of progressive leaning Clinton voting, um, I guess, teens who probably didn't have a say in the election because they're just now applying to college. Um, And of applications from American students at the University of Toronto and the University of Montreal are both up by hundreds of percent. So it went from like 70 applications maybe to like 2,000 at the University of Toronto. And so they're starting to to wonder exactly why this is happening. And it turns out if you ask college students, they do say that they want to go to college outside of the U.S. because Canada is a safe haven away from Donald Trump. Because apparently, uh, and according to the students that we quoted, um, apparently Donald Trump is such a terrible person that campus sexual assaults are going to skyrocket. Wait, that's the reason? That is the reason, yes. Wait, I I did not know this. Trump is now partially responsible or or, or will be responsible for a surge in campus rape culture. That's what the the reasoning is here? Yes, that Donald (sighs) Trump encourages campus rape culture. And so they're afraid that they're going to go to college and get assaulted, and it's going to be all Donald Trump's fault. So they're certainly going to go to colleges in other countries where, you know, the same protections don't apply, but Donald Trump isn't in office. Yeah, wow. And they better bring a really warm hat and plenty of mittens, because uh, the yeah. Great White North, it gets cold. It gets cold up there, it does. I understand. 
It, it was cold enough in central Massachusetts, uh, which I would not recommend for anybody. And that's a few, that, that's definitely a few degrees south uh, of the parallels we're talking about here with, with uh, Canada. All right. Uh, Tom Arnold, who is apparently still a human being that gets media attention. Um, I don't think he's done anything good since True Lies, which now again, back in the 90s. Uh, he says that he wants gamers to hack into the database so that they can get the racist Trump, the racist Trump tapes. That's what this is all about. Right. Tell us about the racist, the, the so-called or alleged racist Trump tape. The mythical Trump tapes that, that they've been looking for since I, September. We've been since we've been hearing about them. Um, so I guess not happy that Roseanne, his former wife, was getting all of this attention for her crazy Twitter he decided the last couple of days that he was going to tell everybody that he had access to these apprentice tapes that supposedly have Donald Trump using racial slurs. It turns out he doesn't. He doesn't know if they exist or whether they exist. And he wants hackers. And he went, this on, he went out on Twitter and he placed a call and he said, here's the database. Go in and see if you can find evidence that Donald Trump once used a racial slur on the set of The Apprentice. And apparently no one's taken him up on the offer or it doesn't exist because I haven't seen anything come across my desk. But he insists, he insists that he has Watergate level journalists who will take these tapes and just blow it up. Wow. And and that's uh, that's what they're hanging their hats on here to, to destroy the Trump administration. There's lots of stuff. Yeah, that I, I mean, they, push they have like they're 10 still... days, so. <laughs> yeah, they, they, they are running out of time. One more here on HeatStreet.com. We're speaking to Emily Zanotti, their political uh, editor. An NFL player gave shotguns to teammates and anti-gun groups have panicked. Giving shotguns to teammates just sounds like a kind, thoughtful and helpful maneuver. What's the problem here? And he's from North Dakota. He's um, a, a very adept hunter. He gave them these beautiful shotguns with silver handles on them and had their names and team numbers inscribed on on the handles. They're just beautiful. And so he gave them to his his offensive line. And all of a sudden, gun groups found out about this, and they were like, these people cannot be trusted. So they took up a collection to send gun locks to these football players who had just received these shotguns for Christmas. But what they didn't really think about was that these gun locks that they were ordering wouldn't work on shotguns. So now not only does the offensive line of the Philadelphia Eagles have brand new beautiful shotguns, but they also have gun locks that don't work on them. Stacy, what am I supposed to do with a gun rack? I don't even own a gun. What movie? Oh, gosh, I don't know. You re- Zan- Zanotti, you're really giving me a blank on that one? I am. Wayne's World, classic. His gr- his, oh, his crazy ex-girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, you live in Chicago. Wayne's World is, like, about Chicago, isn't it? Or part of it, at least. Yeah, it's about Aurora, yeah, Illinois. Yeah, that's where I learned... That's where I learned that Milwaukee means the good land, and the Algonquins were the first settlers of it. Uh, yeah, from Alice Cooper, obviously. But yeah, no, Stacy, his ex-girlfriend, who's like, hi, Wayne, you know, that whole thing. She gives a gun rack and he doesn't own a gun. (laughs) I don't have any guns. Um, Sorry, we do do action movie quote Friday, and I'm springing a comedy quote on you out of nowhere. Not really fair, but it's always the hot seat, the Freedom Hut, Emily. You know that. I know. I absolutely know. I'm going to have to brush up now. (laughs) Yeah, now you have an excuse. You and the the hubs can go watch Wayne's World. Emily Zanotti is a political editor 
Yeah, political editor at heatstreet.com. Do check out her latest and follow her on Twitter. Emily, thank you so much for making some time. Great to have you. Thanks for having me, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Team, phone lines open, 888-900-3393. We'll be right back. This is the Buck Sexton Show. The Blaze Radio Network. Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Ah, here's a name that hasn't been the headlines much in a while. Former Attorney General Eric Holder has been hired to, quote, help California fight the Trump administration. Um, so they've got, uh, they're, they're pulling together a team here to create legal trouble for Trump. He's going to be tapped as Holder is going to be tapped as outside counsel to advise the California legislature on potential challenges with the Trump government. And yeah, here's the quote they get. With the upcoming change in administrations, we expect that there will be extraordinary challenges for California in the uncertain times ahead. California Senate President uh, Pro uh, Kevin DeLeon and Assembly Speaker Anthony Rendon said in a statement, blah, blah, yeah, yeah. So they've got Holder in here. I always found Holder to be one of the, in an administration full of characters of dubious, uh, characters of dubious character. Uh, that sounds, that sounds like uh, something from, what's that movie with the, uh, what's the movie, um, now I forget. I don't know, it sounds, what's with the guys who are the English guys who do the, anyway. Characters of dubious character. Uh Eric Holder is sort of in a class by himself, I think, uh, between the Mark Rich pardon, which was so clearly just essentially the DNC being bribed to let someone completely escape, uh, escape justice. Um, and then you move on from that and everything with Operation Fast and Furious and uh, the, the lies that were told by Eric Holder specifically about that and, and just also his his general attitude towards clearly towards the Republican Party, towards Republicans. I mean, the politicization of the Department of Justice that occurred under the Obama administration. I know that there's always been this focus on the civil rights division of the DOJ under Obama, because that's where that's sort of the, the most obvious place where there's been a lot of politicization. But it's it's sort of it's really broader than that. Um, and you saw this, by the way, I had a friend who was sending me messages yesterday saying, you know, look at. You know, every town in America, every water tower in America has Merrick Garland's name on it. How can this pass without? He was kidding, of course, but it's a great point. I mean, we had to talk about Merrick Garland all the time. Why? Uh, because it's all in the open now that the Supreme Court, it's been the open for a long time, but that the Supreme Court is just a political tool uh, for the Democrats, certainly. And I'll say this, uh, hopefully the attorney general under a Trump administration will at least restore some sense of the law is something other than just an instrument of politics. Eric Holder's legacy, we talk a lot about Obama's legacy. I think Eric Holder's legacy um, is that he, and, and I think Loretta Lynch continued on with it, 
but he, he just made it nakedly partisan. Uh, the attorney general's office, well, the IRS investigation, uh, you know, of, of targeting of the Tea Party. You go through all these different things. At not one point in Holder's tenure did he take a, an action or make a decision or do something that was clearly at odds in a significant way with the power interests of the Democratic Party. That's all you have to know. That's really all you have to know. All right, team, hour three coming up in just a few minutes. Uh, excited to get into even more with you. Phone lines are open. We'll You're listening to Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network.